Unashamed, the recovery podcast. And hello, recovery family. Welcome to a new season and another episode of the Unashamed Recovery Podcast, where it is okay to not be okay. I'm your host, Josh, an addict celebrating recovery from a 20-year porn and sex addiction. And new this season is my good friend and co-host, Drew. Hey, Unashamed family. Uh, I'm Drew. I uh, I celebrate in uh, recovery, and um, I deal with a uh, a 17-year life of addiction, uh, life struggles, uh, living a life of insanity as well. On today's episode, we once again bring you a true story of redemption and hope in overcoming addiction. At the center of what the Unashamed Recovery Podcast is all about is breaking the shame and the stigma of addiction and recovery one episode at a time. And we are breaking that barrier by having honest and real conversations with real people and real recovery, by being unashamed and telling our stories, shining our light of freedom for those still trapped in the darkness. These stories feature people who have faced a lifelong battle of addiction or hurts and habits and hangups, and they've hit rock bottom. They've overcame that hell of addiction, and they have found lasting sobriety whatever that may look like for them. These stories are raw and unfiltered, but most importantly, they are real to show others that we do recover and that there is hope and that there is life outside of addiction. Now, these stories may contain adult language and adult content and may be a trigger. To keep these stories as real and true in nature as we can, we don't edit or cut anything out. Uh, We honor those who are willing to share by telling their whole story, even the dark parts, the ugly parts of it. Uh, So viewer discretion is advised. Recovery fam, it is a proven fact that we heal once the shame is gone. And shame dies when we share our story in a safe place. And I hope that this podcast is a safe place for all, for those who are breaking their anonymity and breaking their shame by sharing and also a safe place for everyone listening. There is healing in sharing our secrets and our stories of addiction, our trials, our failures, and and all of our powerlessness, and even more healing in hearing how others have recovered. So, without further delay, let's meet today's guest. What's up, Recovery Fam? This is Drew. Uh, and today we have a special guest. Uh, it's going to be uh, actually the host <laughs> of the show, uh, the matriarch of this whole shebang, the guys you are uh, that the keeps matriarch. the matriarch uh, that keeps you guys so wrapped in and uh, you know tuned into what we are doing here, which is uh, being unashamed, telling stories, uh, talking about topics. You know, we we. Uh, I'm really excited to be on in the driver's seat of this thing, you know? Uh, it's really aw- awesome for me. It's really odd as well. So, yeah, yeah you notice I try to put two words together there. Yes, you I know, did. odd and awesome. So, it's really uh, uh, uh. It's odd and awesome. Yeah. Awesome. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, it's different for me being on this side and kind of uh, getting grilled. So, it's going to be it's going to be unique. 
<laughs> so, Josh, tell us about, uh, you know, the Unashamed podcast. What made you start that? What was the, the, uh, the driving force behind that? And tell us a little bit about you for those who don't know who Josh Hogshead is. Yeah, so, uh, you know, born and raised here in Mississippi. Yeehaw. Uh, been married for... Hold on, I got to get you to say this one time. Just one time for the, for the for the people out there. Say right. Right. Say it. Right. Right. I love it. I right. love it. Uh, first time I heard you do that, I was just like, um, where are you from again? <laughs> Mississippi, <laughs> Clara, Clara, Mississippi. But uh, but yeah, though, uh, been married for the last uh, eight years, and uh, got two beautiful daughters. And man, I started this recovery journey uh, back in 2014, and it's just been uh, ups and downs all along the way. Been a journey for sure. But back in 2017, after I came back after a, a long relapse I got back into recovery full force and man back probably around 2019 I started you know going and traveling and speaking at different recovery groups telling my story right and it was just uh it was one of those things I felt laid on my heart and man I, I love it you did. You did one. What? Last, just last week? Uh, this past week? Yeah. 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 And, McGee, wasn't it? Yep, down in McGee. And, awesome. Uh, man, there are very few few things that I love more than podcasting. But going and speaking to recovery groups is one of those things. It's just I love it, and uh, I, I'm blessed to be able to still be able to do that and to go and just travel and meet people, and uh, and so yeah, I started doing that, and about around the same time. I felt this just directional pull pulling me to podcasting. And, man, I think we were, uh, this is around the time we first met. Yeah. Uh, and you were talking about starting a recovery podcast. That was the podcast. very, very early, <clears throat> early stages of that. I think I, I remember uh, you, you kind of had, you know, consensus, like a little small consensus group. What, so what do you guys think about a recovery podcast? I, yeah. But, yeah. It was, it was, uh, you could see the light twinkle in your yes. eye, and then, you know, yep. uh, it was one of those things that just ended up just blossoming out, and then boom, yep. here we are today, you know, that, man, that's, yep. that's a, that's awesome, you know, yep. just dreams working through, you know, being persistent with something, yeah. so. Yeah, I, I had that, I had that initial dream about it, and I uh, kept playing with that idea, and I mean, I didn't know anything about podcasts, and I still don't, to this day, know jack about podcasting. Like, <laughs> if y'all haven't figured it out by now, I'm winging it. <laughs> Plain and simple, I am winging it. And so, yeah, I just, I sat on that first episode. I sat on it for months. Just but the, the proverbial wing is actually starting to take flight a little bit, though. It is. I will say that. Yes. It, it, we're, that wing is a flying. Oh. Uh, but yeah, that first episode, it sat in my phone for months and months. And I just, I was afraid to pull that trigger on it. And I just wanted it to be just right. Yeah. And I wanted it to be perfect. And I felt for people to like the podcast and for people to resonate with the podcast, that it had to be perfect. Right. And, and I got to think about it. I was like, man, there are so many people that are out there that are dying every day from addiction. Like they need this message of hope and they need it 
now. They don't but need you know, this. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, you're good. Uh, but you know, one of the the, uh, the the strangest things for people like us that have dealt with addiction that are on a journey to recovery, uh, our lives were so um, chaotic, you know, that in that chaos, we were still perfectionists, you know, so we always wanted it to be exactly right or yeah. we thought people wouldn't like it. Or, uh, but I'm glad, man, that you finally took the leap, you know, because honestly, uh, there's been tons of people I've talked to and it, this this podcast has helped them. You know, it's helped me. You know, that's why I'm glad. Yeah, it's helped me. So I'm glad after the, uh, the the relapse story, you know, that you actually asked me to come on to be a co-host, man. That's, yeah. that's It's been an amazing <laughs> amazing thing yeah man it's this podcast has been a, a blessing in my life man it's it has opened up so many doors for me and is just you talk about service work for your recovery man this has been the the biggest service work man i just getting that feedback man your your podcast really helped me have a dark time in my life man that, right. that means a lot like i don't take that lightly like i mean that just that means a lot and so, yeah, just having that opportunity to to be able to do this, man, it's just, it's been unreal. So outside of the podcast being the identity uh, of, you know, of your recovery, what does your actual recovery look like outside of this? So uh, I am the men's ministry leader for North Park Celebrate Recovery. And I, I do that. And I'm a sponsor. No, I, right, right now we're not doing it, but uh, we, you know, I lead the men's step class. Right. Uh, I lead the men's open share group. Uh, I go and I volunteer my time, you know, going and speaking at these other recovery groups, you know, sharing my story and sharing that hope. So right and, now you're traveling. Pretty, yes. uh, right now it's pretty uh yeah, pretty local, but it goes it goes a little further yeah, than that, right? I've been all over Mississippi, been in Alabama. I've even worked my way up to North Carolina. Right. Uh, been doing it for the last two years. And, I mean, that's, I mean, it doesn't feel like it, but that's service work. I mean, right. you're going and doing that. And most of the time I try to limit that to one time a, a month. But sometimes they, it, there might be two times a month. Right. When I first started, I was trying to do two to three times. And it just, with a family and work and trying to, you know, be the ministry leader of a recovery group, you just can't do three a month. Right. And uh, so I've toned that back down to once. But still, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's service work. And, man, like I said, uh, aside from the podcast, man, I, I love it. I love going and talking with people and meeting new people and just, you know, with seeing people resonate with my story and they're like, right. man, you just told my story. I'm going through that same thing too. And to be able to tell them how I came out of the other end, that that's just powerful stuff. So what is, what is the thing that you struggled with the most in your addiction? Man, a lot of things, but with the main thing was staying out of my own will. Yeah. Uh, I say this a lot. The big thing for me in my recovery is I've got to get up every day and I've got to work step number three. Yeah. And step number three, this is just Josh's paraphrasing, but it's basically saying that I've got to get up and I've got to 
stay in the will of God and not my own. Yeah. My will is what led me to having my seat in recovery. And when I'm staying in God's will, I'm staying sober. And that was hard for me because I wanted to be in my own will. I think the best way I've heard it said was, um, you know, um, my greatest thinking is what ended me here, you know. Uh, Most definitely. With God's way of thinking, I found the new the new freedom, the new yeah. hope, you know. So, yeah. yeah. That most definitely, oh, you know, man, that's just, that was, the, that was it for me. Like, I wanted to be in my own will. I wanted to, because I loved it. I'm not even going to sugar, I'm not even going to lie about it. Like, I loved my addiction. Yeah. Uh, it took me into a deep, dark hole, and it ate me alive. But I loved it. So, I, I didn't want to get out of it. Let me ask you this question, and then we'll let you start, uh, you know, <laughs> digging in. We'll start yeah. digging in a little bit more. Uh, so, in your recovery, what would the first chapter, if you were to write a book about your recovery, what would that first chapter be? I know we ask that question we do. Uh, quite often. And, and man, I, it's such an interesting question. I'm sorry. And I didn't figure it'd be this hard to answer. Right. <laughs> I tried to tell you last time, and you looked at me. You can't come with the answer after you do the, the, the uh, your your part there, but I think that's what the the uh, the thing you told me that was uh he was like we've already used it no. <laughs> <laughs> what and I think uh, when we did Shauna's episode, it was the same thing. Shauna afterwards, <laughs> we had gotten done, and Shauna came. She's like, I know what my chapter will be like. Well, I'm sorry, we can't go back and reshoot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Man, you know, for my first chapter, I think that it would be the best in the world to call it alone. Yeah. Alone. Simple, short, one word, alone. Because for so much of my early childhood, on up into my teens, man, I was alone. Yeah. Like, you know, I had friends and I had family. Uh, I grew up in a very family-oriented home. You know, we had family everywhere. I mean, I, so, I mean, I wasn't actually alone, but I felt alone. But, you and, know, and that's the thing um, that I think most people, they suffer from whenever they're in addictions or mm-hmm. um, whenever they, they have the mindset of being shameful or uh, guilty about certain things that they feel alone in that that yeah. nobody else understands i think you know when we hit on that a little bit uh matter of fact i know we've hit on that the last couple of podcasts or the last couple of uh you know talks that we've had uh was the fact that most people feel alone they feel like nobody else understands and so it yeah. keeps them hidden and all of a sudden you end up in isolation uh in isolation as we know it is an addict's worst nightmare. If you whether you're in active addiction or whether you're coming, you know, out of it, or whether you're just in a recovery, yeah. on a recovery journey yourself. Um, so, this pandemic, how did it affect you? Uh, as far as you know, everything that's been going on. You know, we did the uh, what was it, the, the shelter at home. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was doing uh, meetings through Zoom calls. Zoom calls. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not even gonna try to lie. COVID was tough. Yeah. Uh, 2020 as a whole was rough. But by far, 2020 was not my worst year. Right. <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, dude, if we rewind, 2017, I almost lost everything. And so 2020, while it was bad and it sucked, 2020 was by, by no means my worst year. But COVID, and while it was tough, it was different and it was unusual and it had to do different things. You know, I am very glad to be able to sit here mm-hmm. right now today and say that I remained sober through a global pandemic. But here's the thing. You say, I mean, sober, uh, but your addictions aren't of substance. So, That's well, right. I say it's not of substance. It is of substance, but not a chemical yeah. substance. So go into that a little bit. Go ahead and start telling, man, let's dig. You know, <laughs> let's get these shovels out. Let's yeah. start talking about this stuff. Yeah, so uh, if you're not familiar with my story, uh, my addiction, I used to think that my my story was one in a million. Right. And I started kind of, once I got in recovery and started meeting different people and sharing my story and talking with others, I realized that my story is a lot more like one in five, not one in a million. I, have, I struggle with a porn addiction. And not just a porn addiction, but I struggle with a porn and sex addiction. Right. I got that little double-edged sword going on. And, man, while it's not substance, it's what you would call a behavior addiction, I reckon you could say. Man, it's just as powerful as right. a substance. And, yeah, I, I use... to obtain, even, you know? Well, it's easier to obtain, and it's easier to hide. Yeah. You know, man, if I was on meth, and I relapsed on meth, you could, you could pretty much tell. Guilty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry about but that. But with with me, I mean, I could be sitting here right today, relapse, and you'd never know it, unless you speak about it. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it's just, and so it's easy to hide. I mean, it, it's one of those. It affects that inside. It it, it darkens your soul, kind of speak. It darkens your heart. Uh, and so when I say sober. Yeah, true. Not sober off of alcohol or drugs. But while, staining. Yeah. While I did at one point in my life, did struggle with alcohol. Man, when I was in college, man, I, I loved my alcohol. Like, man, right. That was that was my not my friend. But I mean, I really never, I really never let that take me. I kind of had a control on it. But pornography, man, it. That thing sunk its teeth in, and it never let go. And I reckon that kind of goes back to very early childhood, uh, you know, probably when I was six or seven. And before I get into that, I want to kind of set up, you know, I grew up in a small community, very small Mississippi, little town. In fact, I think uh, when we were talking about the first, even Shauna, Actually, have a connection. Yes, because y'all grew up around the same area or in the same area. Yeah, very close same area. Like, she, we're in two different counties, but where my little community was was just down the road from Shawna. Right. So, and whenever I got, uh, when I was working for the Department of Corrections, I would stop at her parents' gas station every morning to get her mom's biscuits. <laughs> so, and that's how me and Shauna had met. Right. Was was through that. So, yeah, I grew up in a little bitty small 
Mississippi community, like, I mean, tiny. Like, everybody knows everybody. Everybody's family. And then if you are just so happy we are not family, you're still treated like you are. Right. And I just, I grew up in a very close family-oriented home. And, I mean, I, I just, that closeness. I mean, we were just, we were, I had family everywhere. Went to church. Everybody in church was family. And that was another big part of my life was church. Grew up in a southern Pentecostal church of God. We didn't have the snakes. Didn't do all that. But we were a southern Pentecostal church of God. And, you know, my family, we were there every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Sunday night. You know, I tell this joke, if they were changing the carpet in the sanctuary, my family was there. Right. I mean, that's just, that's how my family was. And my family, they didn't cuss. They didn't, they didn't drink. They didn't smoke. We didn't do any kind of drugs. There wasn't physical abuse. There wasn't no type of sexual abuse. So it's kind of comforting to know that I wound up this screwed up on my own. <laughs> so, but there was no help added. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like no water added. No help added. You know, it's just. But, you know, and for anybody who's listening, and if you know me and my family, please, please don't think of my family any other kind of way when I say this, but my journey into pornography started when I was about six or seven when uh, I found a playmate of the month on a car air freshener that was hanging on the rearview mirror of my grandfather's paperwood truck. All right. And so, and I can already hear everybody, oh, man, his grandfather introduced him to pornography. He's a bad man. I don't see it that way. I, right. I hold no grudges whatsoever against my grandfather. I love my grandfather. He's a second father to me. He, he raised me. I, nothing but respect for him, nothing but love. I have no hard feelings to him about any of this. It's just what happened. Right. I mean, I, and I can't help that. You know, and down here in this area, it's almost this kind of rite of passage to kind of introduce these young men into pornography as they go into adulthood. But, you know, at six or seven, you, you're in such a formidable stage. That's right. You know, um, subconsciously, uh, that that becomes embedded into thinking this is okay. Yeah. You know what I it mean? Is. And then you realize that you don't realize it later on in adulthood, it could get well, way out of hand. You know and it so? doesn't help any that, you know, you hear everybody talking about, oh, that's normal. He's a boy. That's they normal. do that. Yeah. yeah. He's just doing boy stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and while, I mean, it wasn't anything hardcore. Right. It was just a woman topless. So, and you got to think about that. This was pre-internet. Like, this was, <laughs> this was back early, 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 early 90s. I forgot. You're, you're younger. I'm younger than you. By a little bit. Not much. <laughs> But this is in the early part of the 90s in South Mississippi. There was no internet. Right. So this is just, this is very harmless playboy. And, uh, yeah, so it was kind of just this rite of passage. You know, boys becoming a man. Just what boys do, it's natural. 
you know, heard, I heard all of that. Right. And so I didn't think anything of it. And so around that same time, I was kind of scared of my salvation at church. And, you know, I had one of those preachers where God fear man, and I, I, I love him. He actually married me and my wife. Right. But he was that kind of preacher. He was old-timey, and he preached that same sermon. Hellfire and damnation. Yeah. Hellfire, brimstone, damnation, screaming, yelling, running across the stage, speaking in tongues. And You did say Pentecostal. I was... Wait a minute. Yes. <laughs> Pentecostal. <laughs> and it was the same sermon every Sunday. Right. And I heard about grace, but I didn't understand it. But I was scared into my salvation. And... That was a supposed to be a great moment in my life. Right. But it was overshadowed very, very quickly. Uh, by the next year, a friend of mine had given me a very, very, very worn-out issue of a Playboy magazine. <laughs> you had to exaggerate that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so, laugh at this. <laughs> and so, man, I got that Playboy magazine, and I thought that thing was gold. Right. I mean, I walked around with my head in that magazine for weeks, months. And see, that just goes to show you, as soon as, you know, um, you get saved, baptized, any of that, you know, the devil's going to come at you hardcore, man. Yeah. Um, and he came at you so suddenly that, you know, you didn't realize. Well, yeah. You know. I, dude, I'm so glad you said that because I, I say this a lot. The devil did not come to me with red horns, red horns, yeah. and, a point, and the pointy horn, the pointy horns, and a red uh, the cape and all that. Well, I butchered that all up, but anyway, with the trident, yeah, <laughs> he didn't come like that. He came as the the happiness that I was searching for, but he perverted it. Yes, in such yes. a way, you know. Yep. Yeah. I wasn't a bad person. Right. I didn't go to evil because I thought it was evil. I just, I thought it was harmless. I thought, and I thought it was the, the goodness that I was searching after. And so, yeah, got that playboy and I thought I was tough. I thought I was top stuff, man. I thought I was, couldn't tell me nothing. <laughs> and then the next year, the same friend, right? he gave me, uh, he has stolen a, porno VHS off of his dad. And so I got that VHS and I waited weeks and weeks because I was scared, man. I was like, get caught with this. Boy, I'm going to get my butt tore up. So I'm starting to see a, a snowball effect. You know, it started with one picture. Then we got a magazine. Now we're working in the VHS tapes, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's the same way with substance abuse. Yes. You know, uh, it starts one hit, then two hits. Oh, man, I can handle it. And then all of a sudden it becomes yep. this big snowball effect. You know, yep. uh, you're completely entwined and into oh, it. Yeah. And it's become a part of your lifestyle. You know, man, so. when, when I got a hold of that Playboy magazine, man, man I, I can't even begin to tell you. When I tell you I thought that thing was gold, yeah, man, that was my most prized possession. Where most I mean, kids, baseball cards, yeah, and, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh I, I had my baseball cards. I had my Nintendo, but man, that, that Playboy, 
Right. But yeah, so I got the the porno, the the VHS tape from from him he, that he has stolen. And man, I was like, man, if I get caught with this, it's gonna be my rear end. Right. So I kept it hid, waited for a while before I watched it. Well, when I finally watched it, man, it was it was horrible. Man, you couldn't see nothing. Like it had those heavy tracking lines. And so I got like right in front of the TV. And I'm like, oh, I see a nipple. Oh, yep. That's all I can make out. Right. It was bad. But man, I'm laughing because I've experienced, <laughs> you know, I've experienced this, yeah. you know, where you're uh, you're watching the channel that has the squiggly lines. You're not supposed to be watching. You're like, <laughs> yeah. So, so I, you know, man, all you make out was just that. But still, man, that was just enough where it it piqued my interest. Yeah. And man, it wasn't. It might have been a year or two later, my dad brought home state-of-the-art desktop computer with dial-up internet. And, man... Was this the uh, the broadband? Yeah. Sound like machines were screeching in on the other end of the telephone line? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, like they had the monitor that was like 50 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. And so he brought that home. And I really don't remember how, but I soon found out what was on that thing called internet. Now, yeah. it took four days, and I would sit there and watch that thing fill in pixel by pixel, line by line. And but I, anyway, and man, I could have been happier. Just whole new, whole new way for me to to get my fix. And that's right. what it was. It was just a, it was another high. That's that's all it was. And, you know, maybe that same year, I didn't make baseball that year. I loved baseball. Baseball was my life. I've been playing baseball. It's, it's crazy how, you know, when we're in addiction, that uh, rebellion itself, you know, uh, the, the rebellious act of, I'm going to do this. I'm probably not supposed to do this, you know, uh, ends up being its own addiction. You know, yeah. uh, that's just one of the things, you know, I've come to figure out, you know, is that the more rebellious you are sometimes is the, like, that's the more of the high from it. And so that's, I don't know. I just kind of heard that little bit. In yeah. That, you know, so. Yeah. Well, man, baseball been my life since when I was a kid and the, my sophomore year high school, I didn't make the team. And man, I was destroyed. Right. Like, it completely just, man, knocked me down. And I didn't have a lot of friends. And the friends that I did have, it was because of baseball. So now, here I am, don't have anything to do, and I turn to more pornography. And I use pornography to push down my hurts, and I use it to push down all those bad feelings and that that depression and just... My brokenness. I just pushed it all deep down and covered it up with pornography. Right. And, you know, I I say this a lot. I was good at hiding it. Like, I had a mask. Right. You know, I was living two lives. I was still very much active in church. And I was just person who I was who I was supposed to be in church and who I was supposed to be at school 
But then here I am, this person off to the side that, you know, is looking at pornography and got this dirty little secret that nobody knows about. And so I held together that false outside persona and nobody knew otherwise. And I got really good at hiding. Like that mask, I mean, I was good at wearing that mask. And I knew it was wrong, and I had strong convictions about it being wrong. I mean, I was still in church, so I knew what I was doing was wrong. And every time I looked at it, and every time I acted out on it, I knew it was wrong, but I just, I could not stop it. Like, even at that early age, like, it was already forming that bond of addiction, and it was already holding me down. And I I liked the way it made me feel. Scratch that. Better yet, I like the way that it didn't make me feel. You know, it, it didn't make me feel like my crummy life was making me feel. Right. And so it was kind of that escape. And but in the truth of the matter is, you were escaping into more brokenness. You know, uh, most definitely. I heard you say that you know it covered it all up, but uh, inevitably it was one of those things that just kept breaking you down. Yeah. Uh, the more you had to hide it and live the double life. Uh, we all realize that that adds so much more weight to um, something that we don't, it's things we don't need to hold on to, and it adds just that much more weight. All right, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. Oh, no, dude, interjecting, so to speak. No, you're good. No, not a problem at all. But yeah, and so here I am, I'm still, you know, early in high school, still very young, and I went to youth camp with my church. And that was probably about the summer of my sophomore year and I had a completely well how do I say this had an extraordinary experience with God and I came back home on fire for God and I mean I got involved with church and with I got involved with Christian groups at my high school FCLA uh, all kinds of stuff I was just I was on fire and man during this time I felt a call to go into ministry. And it scared me to death. Right. Dude, scared me. And I was like, there's no way that I can lead people to Christ after the things I've done, which looking back at that time really wasn't that bad. <laughs> but, but still. Was that before or after the podcast? Like, this was like, I'm, this is like in high school. So, I'm talking about when you oh, figured out it wasn't that bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but it scared me. So, I ran. Yeah. Man, for those that are familiar with the story of Jonah, I did Jonah. I, I pulled a Jonah and I ran. I ran from God. And I ran to the straight to the first girl that would have showed any kind of interest in me and that would have me. And I scooped her up and I lost my virginity to her. And this is the summer of my 10th grade year. And, man, from there it went downhill because then I was into this pattern of bouncing around from girl to girl when they would stop giving me what I wanted, then I'd leave them them behind. I'd move on to the next. And what was strange about all of that was the pattern, the porn use, mimicked that pattern like the porn use grew alongside with that right and so you know let me ask you this um the fact that 
you viewing pornography the way you were um, and the way that you were with women, do you think it was because of the way you viewed pornography at the no same doubt. time? Does that, does that no make doubt. sense to you? Yeah, and no like, doubt. You know, that the way you ended up treating this, these certain girls at this point in time yeah. was due to the fact that you were seeing how pornography was... Uh, Most definitely. Yeah. So it was uh, a tie-in. Gonna, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to come back to it, but when you, you brought that point up, uh, you know, inside my marriage, whenever my porn addiction really hit its stride, I was so unhappy in my marriage because my wife wasn't doing the things that these female porn star actors were doing on these videos. And so I thought that because my wife wasn't doing those things that my wife mustn't love me. Right. And so, yeah, the porn, man, it, it, it alters the way. So it's like a morbid sense of love almost. Yeah. 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 yeah like it, it screws you up, man. Oh, uh, it gets in there and it just it 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 skews your interpretation of reality. Oh, uh, and it, it just man. Anyway, get, getting back on on track, <laughs> on track with back the story. On track. <laughs> I'm pulling at you. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all hear this man, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, so I graduate high school. And I go off to college, and my roommate, now here I am, I leave small town Mississippi, and I right. move up to Meridian, which to me at the time was a big city. <laughs> now, it really ain't that big of a city, <laughs> but compared to where I came from, it was a big city. Yeah. And so I came up to college, and my roommate introduced me to high-speed internet. Mind blown. Mind blown. Right. Like, I'd never seen anything like this. Didn't know it existed. Like, like what, what, what do you mean I can view naked ladies five times faster? What do you mean there's I can watch videos online? I mean, dude, blew my mind. So now the snowball effect is taking oh, yeah. full force. Now, I'm not even... Now I'm not even worried about having girlfriends. I've ditched girlfriends. All that matters is my porn. Yeah. That's all that matters. And, man, it just, it engulfed me, man. I I lost myself. Stopped going to church. I stopped hanging around my Christian friends. I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped praying. Stopped all of it. And, that same roommate introduced me to my now wife. And right off the bat, I knew she was different. I mean, I just, I, I knew it. And I right. kept her at a distance because I didn't want to hurt her. You know, I, I didn't want her to see the real me because I didn't like the real me. Right. And so I kept her at a distance. I kept that mask on. I'm, like I said, I was good with the mask. I was about to say, by this time, you've become a professional yes, like mask wearing, you know. So. I knew who to be in front of who. Right. And what version of me was expected in front of different people. Yeah, I was a professional at wearing masks before we all had to wear masks. Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> dude. I mean. I, so how difficult was that? For your identity, you know, whenever you did uh, realize that Annabeth was the one or your wife was the one and all that, like, 
Man, I was so far gone and so twisted that, I mean, I just, I became a professional at juggling them. Right. And I just kept track of who 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 needed which one to, you know, this mask went with this person and this mask went with that person. And I just kept them all in line and was juggling them and would swap them out as needed. Right. And, and that's how it went for a while, man. And, you know, skipping ahead, we, we got married. And what's funny about pornography is I always thought that once I got married that I would no longer need pornography. Bold face lie. Like, I found myself depending on pornography more when I got married. And then two years after we got married, we had our first daughter. And likewise, I'd always thought that, you know, when we had kids, I'd no longer need pornography. Bold face lie. Still needed pornography after having kids. In fact, I found myself depending on it more because now my wife no longer had time for me. Right. And I was at the end of the waiting line, you know, after her 14-hour shift at work and after the the baby was fed and off to bed and, you know, man, I just, I felt unloved. I felt unwanted. And that drove me further into the pornography. And, you know, man, it just drove a wedge in between us. And, man, it all came, I ain't going to say it came to a head because there was a lot more to come, but where my recovery started was Christmas of 2014, we were on our way to take family Christmas pictures. Right. And my wife needed to use my phone to look for directions to get there. She found my saved porn. And, now, she had found my saved porn before. But this time she was mad. Yeah. And I had never seen her that mad. And she gave me an ultimatum. And it, I heeded her warning. So I started kind of looking online. I had never known what I had had a name. Didn't know anything about porn addiction. Didn't know there was such a thing as porn addiction. And so started looking. I found that our church, North Park, offered a program, Celebrate Recovery. Right. Now, <clears throat> North Park is my in-law's church. They've been coming here for years. Now, like, there's no way that I can go to the church that my in-laws go to and go to the recovery group and share the things that I've done. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Right. And so I found a Sex Addicts Anonymous group that met in Jackson. So I went there a week later looking for answers. Now, I made a lot of excuses. and I don't know if it was the fact that I couldn't find any answers or or what. But whatever the excuse was, I left after about a week. Well, I think I went there for about a month. And I just said, you know, forget it. And so, you know, during that time, our pastor had been battling cancer. And he finally had lost his battle and passed away. And so we had uh, interim pastors filling in. And every Sunday... For six weeks, our guest pastor would make mention of Subrate Recovery. Right. Every single Sunday. Somebody was speaking to you there, bud. And so on that sixth Sunday, I was like, okay, God, 
I get it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he, when he speaks, man, he he, he drills it into yes. you. He's just like, all right, are you? Gonna I wasn't listening. Pay attention. Yeah, pay attention. Pay and attention. so <laughs> that next day, I showed up to celebrate recovery. Right. And I walked through the doors of this church, on the North North Park. So this was 2014. 2000. No, this because that. Had started at Christmas of 2014, and then I started going to Sex Addicts Anonymous. Right. So we then got into the early part of 2015. So this had to have been around March, March or April of 2015, very early 2015. And I came, I walked through that door, didn't know what to expect, didn't know who was going to be there that recognized me. Man, I, I had so much fear walking in that door. A lot of shame, a lot of guilt, but I walked through that door, and man, I found some people there that got me, that understood where I was coming from, but still, I didn't like it. I didn't want to be there. (laughs) You know, I wasn't all about that. Let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya, and I tell you all my secrets, and (laughs) I wasn't about that. Yeah, it totally went wrong. so... And so, man, we get there in open share, and I had done made up my mind before it even started. I was like, I'm going to sit there with my arms crossed, and when it gets around my turn, I'm just going to say pass. Yeah. Well, it got around my turn, and before I could say pass, I was a porn addict. Fell out of my mouth. And them guys looked at me. (laughs) I mean, they gave me all kinds of looks. And I wanted to run out that door. Like, I, man. Well, maybe they were surprised by the guy who had his arms crossed. <laughs> actually let these words slip from his lips, you know. Because, uh, you know, when you get into a moment where you got your arms crossed, that's complete disinterest. Oh, and yeah. you're shunning everybody away at that point. So, if you. No doubt. And, you know, those, to me, those are the ones that need the help the most. Those are, the, you know, somebody to lean into them, you know, so. Uh, it's just something I've realized whenever we go to, uh, when I go to speak places, um, which I've only been to a couple, I'm not as, uh, <laughs> I'm not as well-traveled as Josh, uh, but you know, there's, we do get new people that do come to Celebrate Recovery. We attend the same Celebrate Recovery, um, but you know, when people do come in, you know, it's the guy with his arms crossed, man, that has such a great story, but not even just a great story, but you know need somebody to actually reach out and lean in to that way he can lean in, you know, um, what is it? Reaching in instead of uh, making them reach out. Yeah. Cause you know, man, when I was in the thick of it, I couldn't reach out. Yeah. I needed somebody to reach in. Right. So yeah, most definitely. But you know, man, you're right. You're, you're, you're spot on. And the thing that I took away from that first night all of my life, I had felt like a black sheep, you know, always a loner, never really fitting anywhere. But that night when I came here and I found that small group, that men's small group, man, it was like I had found the rest of my herd. Right. Like I just, man, I, I felt at home. I felt accepted. I felt like these these guys, yeah, Jim over there, he's, he's struggling with alcohol. And, yeah, oh, Tim Tom, he's struggling with <laughs> substance abuse. He's 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 on meth, and they ain't they don't understand porn addiction, but they understand 
what it's like to have something else control your mind. Yeah. And so I just, man, I, I, I just loved it. Just people understanding where I was coming from. And that night in a circle among strangers, I realized that my shame died when my hurts are shared in those safe places. And it was just, it was a big moment for me. Right. And frankly, I wish I could sit here and tell you that that's where my story is. That after that first night, all my problems were solved and I healed from my addiction and I went on to years and years of successful recovery. And it was just all rainbows and pixie dust. But it wasn't. It by no means was it like it. There was several times after that first night where I thought that my world was just going to fall. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just, it, it got bad. But it was about another two years after that before my biggest fall. Uh, and I'm going to skip ahead a lot. I'm not going to do like you and take up two episodes. We're going we're gonna to get done with this today, folks. That's, One episode. That's the, so that's twice. So how are you two now? That you've taken digs at me. <laughs> so, we'll, we'll get into that later. <laughs> I, so, say, I have a lot to say. I mean. Well, I do too. But anyway. <laughs> so, we're, I'm going to skip ahead a lot. So, 2017, I started a new job. And I was having to travel a lot for work. Right. And, man. CR, sober recovery, my attendance stopped. Like, I mean, I was. Oh, I remember. <laughs> I was having to stay down in Hattiesburg. And, I mean, I was down there for weeks at a time. And just didn't have time. And so my recovery took a backseat and addiction started driving. Right. And, you know, down there by myself, the wife and the, the kid was back home. And the porn wasn't enough. So I started, you know, trying to find women online to hook up with. And, you know, that's a very slippery slope. Yeah. Uh, You know, I saw a great quote that I'm going to share about that. Uh, I learned the hard way that a man who is not satisfied with one woman will never be satisfied with many because that's sin has no limits. And that's exactly true. Because once you start there, it's all downhill. Right. And so, anyway, soon after I lost my job that I was training for, and so found new employment uh, working at 911. And, you know, the encounters with meeting other women slowed down, but my porn was still, still so- rocking and soaring. Right. And... <clears throat> I, at this time, I was searching for very dark and depraved things, like perverse and sickening things. You know, because of pornography, I was now crossing the lines of things that once repulsed me. Right. But that's that natural progression. Looking at boobs no longer does it. So then you go to softcore pornography. And then at some point, softcore pornography doesn't do it. Then you move into hardcore. Right. Well, you know, there comes a limit. 
where hardcore pornography no longer does it for you. And that's what I mean, you know, one one joint doesn't do it for you. One hit of cocaine no longer does it for you. It's it's a progression. Yeah. And like all addictions, and pornography when you stop and then return to it, it's gonna be ten times worse than most definitely you stop that. Most definitely. Yeah, so and so like all them other addictions, pornography progresses that same way. And so uh probably around May 2017, I began having conversations with an old friend, and those conversations led into a relationship. And uh, it got to a point where I was talking to her more than I was talking to my wife. And it, man, it, it got to a point where I would lay in bed at night next to my wife, just a few inches from her, and I would feel a thousand miles from her. Right. And, you know, I remember we had a, a date night one night at Outback Steakhouse, and I had a, we were talking, and I interjected, and I was like, I want a divorce. And then I just moved the conversation on along like I never even mentioned it. I mean, just, just that casual. Oh, wow. And, you know, that relationship with the other woman, it became physical. And I found myself sneaking around to be with her more and more. And that wedge between me and my wife, it just got wider and wider and wider. You see, porn killed my ability to love my wife. And like I said a while ago, I saw that my wife wasn't doing the things that I saw those female actors do on the videos and so I thought that she mustn't love me right that she must not care about me in the same way that I care about her selfishness and marriage cannot coexist and at the center of any addiction much less pornography addiction is selfishness yeah I mean you're serving yourself inside pornography oh immaturity and lust, it prevents any kind of real relationship. It prevents any kind of real meaningful relationship from ever kind of forming to one person. And so in my immaturity, I made my wife out to be the bad guy, and I was the good guy. I was the victim. So basically like a, a form of manipulation. Oh, so yeah. it was big manipulation oh, at yeah. this point. And I would use that to my <clears> benefit. <throat> well, if you would do this, this would not happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Poor, pitiful Josh. His wife don't love him no more. Poor, poor, poor Josh. Dude, I, that, I played it hard, man. I played that victim card, and I played it well. Right. I mean, I'd already, I was already used to good at doing my mask. That was just another mask. And so I found out through all that that pornography is a super, super lonely endeavor. And I would run to it any time that I was lonely. But yet it breeds more loneliness and so it would become this crutch if I was ever bored I think that's any drug use though any any substance use turns into uh, the more I use once again like we stated earlier uh, it becomes isolation most definitely and so with yours being a you know porn sex edition you know that would that would be to be that alone in it, 
Yeah. Yeah, dude. It takes some strength, you know, some real strength. Yep. Yep. And, you know, like I said, it would, I would use it as a crutch if I was bored or lonely or if I was angry or if I had anxiety, uh, stressed, disappointed. I would use that. That was my crutch. And it, Porn is a trap that can keep us from the people closest to us. Yeah. You know, the more I looked, the lonelier I felt, and the lonelier that I felt, the more that I watched. And the more I watched, the more I was sucked into this fantasy world that gave me false hope and gave me false love, false attention, false affection. And it was all counterfeits of all the things that I was looking for in my own life. Porn promises relief and escape, but it only provides shame and bondage. And it just, man, it just, it took me down that hole and just left me there, man. Like, it it started out with kitty stuff, and when it no longer did it for me, you know, it took me past that pleasure that porn pro- promised me, and it left me in this void of adultery. Yeah. And man, when when you're there, you just when you're when you're in that void, you're like, "What's my next move?" I mean, I don't even know. I don't know who I am anymore. I don't even know which. What's my next move? I don't know where my next step is. You're just stuck, and so you're you're kind of left with kind of repeating the last mistake that you made. So how did you get? Unstuck. What what was the uh, what was the catalyst for that? So <laughs> that's my rock bottom. Yeah. Uh, August of 2017, after eight months of a, an exhaustive relapse, uh, I woke up when I was on bed rest. I'd had a wreck and had minor surgery, and I was on bed rest. And I woke up from a nap. And found a note by my bed. Now, I want to back up just a little bit. During all of that, during that relapse, and I was having the affair on my wife, in the insanity of it all, I had taken out my own back page ad. And I was offering myself as a male prostitute. Oh, wow. And that's the insanity of it. The insanity of it. The extreme. Yes. Yeah. And so... I woke up from a nap and I, I found a note from my wife and she had found everything. And I mean everything. She had found every text, call, email. She had found all the conversations with the, the woman that I was having the affair with. She even found the back page ad. Found it all. And she was told me she was gone. Right. And so I found her. She was in the kitchen. She was still packing her bags. And what's odd about all this, just a couple weeks before this, I was wanting a divorce. I was wanting her to leave. And now in this moment when she was leaving, I couldn't let her. And so we had a big, long, drawn-out, I ain't going to say an argument, but conversation for about an hour. And then she left with my daughter and went to her, her parents. And, man, I was alone in that house that night with 20 years worth of just bottled up emotions and I was a mess. Yeah. But the next week she came home 
and we had another long talk and we worked some things out and I started seeing a therapist. I went to go see a doctor and got on antidepressants and we went and started seeing a marriage counselor and then I got back into celebrate recovery. Right. And, you know, a lot of hard work, a lot of prayers, a lot of rebuilding trust, but I can honestly say that today, mine and her marriage is stronger right now than it was when we first got married. And Amen to that, brother. Man, and it and it was just <clears throat> but that's both ways. It, right. It, it takes her to forgive and it takes me to change. Because if I'm not gonna change, she doesn't need to sit in that. Right. Like I I want I want everybody to realize if you're out there and you're in that same situation, I urge you to give it a second chance because I'm here to tell you infidelity after marriage. I just messed that all up. Marriage <laughs> after infidelity <laughs> is possible. Yeah. <laughs> I flipped I'm that. sorry. That's, it's not funny. It's but, funny. Uh, it's funny. <laughs> marriage after infidelity is possible, but only if both people are willing to work at it. Yeah. If the person who caused the infidelity is still doing the same thing that they were doing, it's time to go. It's time to go. They're yeah. not changing. If there's change, then there's growth, and then that means that there is a chance to save that marriage or that what's, relationship. What's my, what's my catchphrase that I, that's become? Uh, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Nothing changes. So. Somebody uh, actually texted me that the other day. Oh, really? Yeah, it was uh, it cool. was pretty interesting. They were like, "Dude, so I'm I'm living that." And I was like, "What do you mean you're living that?" Uh, well, I've just had to change some stuff, but you know, everybody thinks it's one big change. Yeah, you know that one big change, trying to do so much and it's so not, little time. It's little. You're actually it's a self defeatist thing. Yeah, um, and you know that's I don't know if that was how you ended up was just one small step. This one had small to change. step. This had to change, but then it. You know, one small built. step. You know, uh, right after all that happened, my first sponsor, real good friend of mine, he sat me down. He's like, look, Josh, how do you go and build a great wall? I have no clue. He's like, you start out by putting one brick down yeah. as perfect as you can put it, as perfectly level, straight as you can put it. And then when you do that, you put the next brick down as perfectly level and straight. And then soon you're going to have a wall. I'm yeah. like, man, that makes sense. <laughs> and so then that's, I started doing that because, you know, man, after all that, like I had to put recovery first. Because before when I'd done recovery first, though, back in 2014, 2015, I was still trying to do recovery and still trying to do my addiction. Yeah. I was still trying to do both of them. This time, I had to put recovery first so that everything else in my life doesn't come second. I know that's confusing, but... Yeah, it's almost you have to surrender to self-care. Yes. If you don't surrender to self-care, which is your recovery, which is, you know, surrendering to God as well, um, or whatever your higher power may be, um, if you don't surrender to these things, then it's ultimately going to backfire. You know, you you have to... That's why the steps are so important. Yeah. You know... Um, that's why they're designed the way they are. Yep. First step being in, in order. The, yeah. I mean, because once you start taking these steps just like that, all of a sudden you start to see your journey, your recovery journey, uh, go from being, which looks so small 
or that one moment, you know, as you got that one victory moment. Yep. And then you're wondering how you're going to get to the next one. You know, obviously there's steps to take, you know. Uh, I don't know. I just thought that was always pretty yeah. interesting as far as recovery goes and uh, whatever your addiction or your choice of uh, drug may be, yeah. you know, uh, there is hope, you know. Yeah. And Josh, man, this story has been amazing, dude. Um, you know, I knew I knew most, some, you know, I've heard the story, you know, a couple of times, but not so in depth. Yeah. You know, and uh, dude, I just want to say, man, you, be like, you're inspiring people across like the world right now. You know, I think this what is this hitting like a couple of con- different countries. Yeah, we are hitting uh, at last check. 29 different countries. Right. All 50 states. And I believe somewhere in the neighborhood about 700-something cities here in the, in the United States. Dude. So, I mean, and this all blossomed from the story you just told us. I mean, it's been... Yeah, you know, it, I always say this at the end of my story, and it's the truth. All those years ago, I ran from God. Yeah. I ran from God in that call of my life. And I ran from Him to the very thing that he would ultimately use me for. Right. Because that's, I'm going now and I'm spreading this testimony and my story and, and all of this stuff because of that, because of that dark past, because of my rock bottom. And, and I want people to understand this. Yes, I'm three and a half years sober, but I still struggle every single day the same way that I struggled all those years ago. The difference is, is now I know how to cope with those struggles and I know of ways to deal with those temptations and those urges. I have to get up every day and I've got to work step number three. I got to stay in God's will and not my own will. Right. And I got to practice that. And that was another big thing, Drew. Man, through all of that, I had to put God at the center of all of it. Now, I've said this many times before on the, on the podcast. I don't care what it was they got somebody sober. I know many of people who are 20 years sober, and they're not working a 12-step program. They're not religious. Whatever it was, whether it be you went through jail, you went through a rehab program, whether it was a higher power of a doorknob, you just got tired of hitting your head on the same yeah, you bricks. Just, you got sick and tired of being sick and tired. Whatever it was, I, I don't care. What matters is that you got tired of living in addiction. Yeah. And you you change. That's what matters. But for me, what worked for me was finding God in the middle of Celebrate Recovery, which is a Christ-centered 12-step program. That's what worked for me. And for me, I had to put God at the center of all of it. I had to get up, and I've got to, every morning i got to pray, and I've got to read my Bible, and i got to do my devotions, and I've got to work my steps every day. If not, I'm going to find myself in that same position that I used to be. And so that's that's where, that's... You just got on to me about my devotions. If you you want to hear uh, the key to success from Josh Hollingshead on the Unashamed Recovery Podcast, that's my key to success. That, that, that is what did it for me. Finding something bigger than yourself. Yes. To invest in yes. to yourself, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Yep. You gotta make, something's got to be bigger than you, you know? Yep. Because uh, if 
if you uh, believe just only in yourself, you know, uh, we become our own worst enemy. Uh, I think Most we talked about this as well, that negative self-talk. You know, when we do that negative self-talk, it ultimately is going to destroy us yep. uh, because we don't want to pay attention to something that is greater than us at that point in time. But, so, uh, <laughs> any saved rounds, so to speak, as, as, as we like to say. Um, so, for the addict, you know, that, that's out there, um, dude, just know that you're touching lives, yeah. you know, uh, through this podcast, through your story, you know, through telling it in different places. Um, dude, man, just keep keep being you, man. I appreciate that. Thank you, bud. Because you are awesome. Thank you. You are awesome. Thank For you. those of you out there, you know, um, this is Unashamed Recovery Podcast, man. Check us out. Uh, give it a like, click, share, you know. Yeah. Um, if you like this video, like it. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you, if that's your thing. Uh, that helps us a lot. That helps us reach more and more people. Yeah. Uh, and if you didn't like today's episode, hey, comment and tell us why. I want to know why. And if you've got a question for me or Drew, you can also leave that in the comments as well. Check us out on Facebook as well, guys. You know, uh, Unashamed Recovery Podcast. Uh, we're, we are, we're there, you know. Uh, anytime you want to dig in and get in the conversation with us, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure you can hit us up there. Uh, you can find us on what Instagram as well. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah we're we're all over the world. We're all over the place. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. Seriously though, you know we're on we're on every platform. I uh, know I get a lot of questions on where can we listen at, you yeah. know. So, but we're on every platform that's available right now. I do believe. Almost. We're Almost. We're, we're, we're we're still working on that, but we're we're getting there. Okay. <laughs> I blew us up bigger than, you know, um, I'm excited. I get, I get excited guys, you know, I get excited. All right. All right, guys. I appreciate y'all tuning in to hear my small insignificant story. Love y'all. And with that, y'all, that's all the time we have for today. We hope that today's episode has shined some ray of hope and encouragement for you. We hope that it inspired you to not give up and that you too can have a life outside of addiction and can have lasting sobriety. Recovery fam, don't forget that you can always join us for more recovery conversations on Twitter. Find us at Unashamed Recovery and also use the hashtag Recovery Posse to connect with thousands and thousands of others in the Twitter recovery community worldwide. Do you want to be on the show? to share your amazing story with listeners from around the world like our guest today did? Or maybe simply you want to tell us how we're doing. Or do you have any suggestions or questions uh, for me for the show? Send the show an email at unashamedpodcast at yahoo.com. That's unashamedpodcast at yahoo.com. Thank you for your continued support of the podcast, and I hope all hope you all continue to stay sober. And until next time, we love you, and y'all remember to be unashamed. unashamed.